Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue-collar work ethic and where I find real value. The Black Duck Revival podcast is sponsored by our friends over at Hunters of Color. Hunters of Color is a 501c3 nonprofit. They're the only nationwide hunting nonprofit led by BIPOC for BIPOC. They're working on increasing black, indigenous, and other peoples of color participation in hunting for the sake of conservation, food sovereignty, and to preserve our ancestral traditions. They do that by focusing on their three pillars, which is mentorship, conservation, and education. So if you want to get involved with Hunters of Color, if you want to support that good work that they're doing, check them out at their website. It's huntersofcolor.org or on all social media platforms with the tag Hunters of Color. The 2023 Black Duck Revival Turkey Tour is brought to you by Rome Adventure Company, makers of high quality and rugged outdoor gear to get you where you want to be on all your vehicle-based adventures. I've got the Black Duck Revival van outfitted with the Vagabond XL tent that sleeps three to four people. It's got a three-inch high density foam mattress, very comfortable, and an anti-condensation pad to keep you warm and dry. Takes just five minutes to set up and another five to put back in the morning and you're on your way to wherever the road might take you. Please check out Rome Adventure Company at RomeAdventureCo.com. Get on the road and make the most of it. Hey everybody, I'm back here in Little Rock, Arkansas. Turkey Bebop is officially over and I am having some withdrawals and, uh, you know, life is funny. I, I made it through that whole trip and, you know, living perhaps not the healthiest I ever have in my entire life, mostly due to Modelo's, but man, I, I did really well. I was like, physically, I was in good shape the whole time. And now that I'm back home, uh, pretty much everybody in my house has gotten sick and, uh, my wife had strep throat, and now I've got it. But uh, uh, this week, I'm joined by someone who like, quite possibly could be the most interesting person in the world. This is Elias Cairo from Portland, Oregon. If you've heard of Olympia Provisions, uh, if you've had any of their like uh, salamis or any of their dry-cured sausages, fantastic operation. Elias started that. Uh, he also has five restaurants there in the Portland area. I got to eat at one of them, and, man, it was so good. It, like, made me emotional. Uh, I mean, I don't mean that I was crying at the bar or anything, but, like, I was in my feelings. It was just like, oh, this is what food can be if someone just gives a shit. Uh, but back to Elias, man. I mean, this guy was a pro skateboarder at 14. At 17, he's, like, living in Switzerland illegally, stodging. Or I guess he wasn't stodging. He was, he was apprenticing underneath this uh, 
really well-renowned chef, and he ended up staying there for years and years, and he married someone from Liechtenstein, and she didn't speak English, and she had, like, titles and stuff. I mean, it's just crazy. And then he comes back to the U.S., and he starts this operation, and, man, it's just such a cool place. It's uh, just the way everything's put together. You know, we talk a lot about intentional design and intentionality on this podcast. And, man, this dude just gives a shit about everything he's doing. Uh, I could talk on and on about him, uh, and I wish I could have spoken to him longer. I think we talked for like an hour and a half, something like that. Uh, And I would have loved to sat there and just kind of drain a bottle of wine with this guy and, uh, and hear a bunch more stories. But hopefully in the future we'll get to do that. I'd love to get to hunt with this guy sometimes and... Oregon is like one of my favorite places to hunt. So hopefully we will be able to make that happen. But just real quick, and I read this to Elias uh, because we we got introduced. I had heard about him a bunch from my buddy Jay Byer. And then Jesse Griffiths, who's been on the podcast and is a buddy of mine, he was interacting with him on this turkey thing that he was doing. And so I reached out to him. I was like, hey, man, see if this dude will be on the podcast. This is what Jesse Griffith said about him in a text. I asked him for his phone number, and he said, sure. He's about as quality as a human can be, fascinating person. From my all-too-brief interaction with him, I'm right there with you, Jesse. Uh, Hope to get to share a hunt camp with this guy sometime. Hope to get to, you know, maybe even cook with him sometime. So uh, please enjoy uh, this conversation with Elias Cairo. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. I'm here in Portland, Oregon, the headquarters for Antifa, and I am uh, in the offices of Olympia Provisions uh, with Elias Cairo. And, man, this is kind of like this big full circuit, uh, full circle moment for me, because like I was telling Elias when I first walked in here, like when I got introduced, so it, I would say that like learning to make sausage, uh, Ruhlman's book, Charcuterie, mm-hmm. and Olympia Provisions were like all kind of happened at the same time for me. Awesome. And I told you it's because this dude from Oregon, him and his wife, Tara, had moved, Brandon and Tara had moved to Little Rock and they opened up like Little Rock's, and I would imagine Arkansas's, but definitely Little Rock's first like artisan kind of butcher shop where they're like... They weren't even working through whole animals, but like actually working through, you know, parts of animals, mm-hmm. making shit tons of fresh sausage, uh, making terrines. You know, it was definitely like the city's first exposure to that. Cool. Uh, and then, you know, he had like these, uh, you could buy like these Olympia provision sausage. I mean, that's like the first place I had foie gras. Oh, amazing. You know, um, that's the first place I had like a, a dry cured, probably like dry cured meat that wasn't you know from costco or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but and then when i was like you know i knew buyer knew you like a couple years ago and i was like mm-hmm. fuck that's wild man that olympia provisions guy dude <laughs> and then when i was hunting with jesse jesse was like oh yeah man well, i'm gonna hunt with this dude elias and i was like shit and then when we were me and buyer the other day we were driving 
and uh i texted jesse and i was like are you in oregon and he's texting you and i was like i was like let's see which one of our famous chef friends responds first <laughs> and uh, uh you you responded to buyer first yeah. but it's all jesse always responds to me yeah yeah he's busy hunting turkeys <laughs> yeah exactly. but uh yeah man dude there's a lot of stuff to talk about i'm a Where, where should we start? So like, oh, I, I don't even tell you, man. So this podcast, it it seems like it revolves, the people I talk to revolve around hunting, but uh -huh. like, you know, like the copy on it is like, finding people who have found a way for themselves with the, uh, by combining thoughtful consideration with the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. All right. We talk about the blue collar work ethic a lot, mm -hmm. which I think a lot of people that have never worked on a line don't understand how blue collar and physical cooking is oh my goodness. uh especially kitchen culture i mean it's like High working stress. on a yeah. like a fucking boat or something you know mm -hmm. it's like sailors uh lots of tattoos Check. lots of drinking Check. uh uh there's Long been dabbling hours. in yeah dabbling yeah. in drugs okay. you know what i mean like all that stuff right mm -hmm. uh man it's really man to me it's like it's like in a in the in a right place in a good place it's kind of like construction and rock and roll right there's like artistic stuff mm -hmm. that jesse griffiths always tells like his uh chefs he's like we're way closer to plumbers than we are to painters right because mm -hmm. it's it's, it's there's there's art involved in it but it's a craft mm -hmm. right it's a trade yep. uh and you could be a bad plumber yeah you could be a bad cook but if yeah, you do yeah. it really really well if you look at some really good copper piping that goes through a perfect you know system now that's art you know then, then you're closer to the art side of that but yeah and cooking for sure you can be open in cisco bags and oh. reheating microwave food and sure you're cooking but then you're doing the plumbing work which is difficult but then there's also the certain part where you're actually utilizing whole animals and cooking seasonally and so on and so forth it gets closer to art making people real happy through food yeah. is quite a rewarding task i'd actually say the the you get closer to art so this is my opinion i'm not uh i'm not really attracted to like you know that gastronomy side of it right nah. like foams and all that kind of stuff uh to me Folks who like learn how to cook have some decent, uh, decent breadth in their exposure to food, mm -hmm. and then they find a way to simplify. Oh, yeah, shit. like Jesse cooks very, very simply, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and then you have to have the end up with this focus on ingredients, right? Because then mm -hmm. you got to like let the thing taste like what it is, yeah, right for sure. But uh, you know, yeah, there's a, there's the maturity in cooking, you know, as you go. Yeah. it's, it's kind of when you learn a lot. I see it in a lot of things. When you learn something, you kind of just want to flex that you can do it, and you want to do it all at one time. And as cooking, as you progress, right, you're you're learning how to poach, you're learning new ingredients, you're learning mm -hmm. crispy and texture and sour, and you're like want to show it off to show the world that you can do it. And then once you start cooking and you kind of really realize that the actual mastering the craft is less being able to utilize less tools, show your you know, being more restraint, being yeah. more refined and, you know, focusing on ingredients and so on and so forth. And, and I do notice that with a lot of chefs that cook or excuse me, chefs that hunt that I think there's a progression in cooking too, where you kind of do get obsessed with ingredients and product. Mm -hmm. And that's when the wild game becomes so much more interesting because after 
I mean, I've cooked for, gosh, 20, you know, started at 16. I can't even do the math on that a long time, you know? And then at some point you start realizing you can cook beef every single way, grass-fed, whatever, uh, regular finish. You can eat pork, lamb, everything. You kind of run out of what's really interesting to cook. And mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you start trying maybe more wild meat and you'll overcook your first backstrap of elk. And you're like, man, I just blew that. Yeah. You'll over braise a shoulder and you're like, that turned into a cotton. You'll try to cook your first rabbit. And you're like, I absolutely ruined that. Fucked up a duck. man. <laughs> Everyone up fucks up a duck. Fuck first. up some ducks, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Screw something up. And then, you, then that's a whole nother intriguing thing that you're trying to master. And then it becomes how amazingly unique that product is. You know, you shoot a Roosevelt elk out here on the Oregon coast and you start eating through it over the year and you start realizing how unique and how rare it is for people to actually try and taste mm. this unbelievable product. And you're, it just becomes very engaging. Yeah, man. You're like, you're, you're entering a niche of a niche of a niche, yeah, a niche right? Of a niche. Uh, especially if you're not just like covered in, in Campbell's cream of mushroom soup, for right? example, yeah. uh, which I mean, I'm not opposed to shit on a shingle and I like. Uh -huh. I like comfort, you know, like mid-America comfort food as well. Oh, yeah. But uh, when I'm always, what I always tell people about that, I was like, look, dude, if that's how your grandmama made pheasants, mm -hmm. make it that way. But you know what you could do? You could take garlic, thyme, mm -hmm. like a sweet onion, I prefer sweet, a sweet onion, some good mushrooms, and some good cream. And you could make cream of mushroom soup. Mm -hmm. And then you could do that. And it would be like something totally different. Yep. Right? And you can play with it. You get different flavors. You yeah. You realize you don't need all the sugar in F it. Find, find the mushrooms. Like I got a, uh, we found one big morel. Ooh, this weekend? My, yeah, my buddy's yard. Like a couple hours before I left Corvallis. Ooh, it's coming. And there I was like, let me have that, uh, let me have the morel. Mm -hmm. And so I just got the one morel, right? But mm -hmm. dude, get a, when they come on, man, you get a bunch of them. Oh, it's heaven. Man, like do a little turkey cutlet, do a little morel butter sauce on top, man. Oh, man, I have a, I'm not proud of saying this, especially on a hunting podcast, but I can't tell you how many spring turkey hunts have turned into morel, morel hunts. Oh, dude, <laughs> I think you're still winning, man. I mean, a morel is a – I got married – when I got married, man, I got married on the opening day of turkey season in Arkansas mm. eight years ago. And – I had some, my buddies came out of the woods and they were like kind of pissed at me. They're like, ooh, dude, why are you getting married on turkey season? I'm like, man, you sons of bitches don't kill no turkeys. What does it matter? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I ain't never seen you kill a turkey, dog. You go up there and drink beer and pick mushrooms, but like, yeah. you ain't killing them turkeys. Yeah. And, but anyway, my homie Nate rolls up and uh, he's like, well, here you go, man. Here's your wedding present. And he handed me like a Walmart bag full of the brim of morels. Oh, he wins. Dude, it was awesome. Yeah. It was awesome, man. And I like, I made a steak a few days later. I made a steak and like hadn't slept for like two days, like mm -hmm. literally because I was in like fire academy rookie school and whatever. But mm -hmm. I like cooked this good, you know, pretty good quality steak up and like all those morels. And it's still like one of the best meals mm -hmm. ever. They're the best. Yeah. We just had our first run of morels with Jesse. Actually, we brought some in. Oh, did you? And uh, we had the, we made a. Uh, Bacon lardons, morels, the giblet, heart, and liver, and marsala sauce over toast over a campfire. Oh, yeah. I saw Ben O'Brien was posting about that. I think. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. made it over a fire because it was fun to watch uh, Jesse navigate snow and being like, and also for me to hunt turkeys in that much snow, too. But oh, no. I didn't even think about that, man, because he's, he's so Texas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so fun. It was the absolute best to watch him. Like, A, he's a hell of a hunter, so driven to find turkeys and to mm -hmm. do it, but then also being like, yeah, we're going to make hot toddies to get warm over a fire and you know oh jesse likes a 
cocktail man. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah, he's he's in he's in the cocktails, dude. I'm in a. It's actually really fun. It's a really fun way to hunt, man, because you can hunt and then come back. Uh, you know, and like when we were hunting in Texas, like me and Ben would come back and uh, it'd be like him. Uh, you know who Jean Paul Bourgeois is? Yeah, I know of him. Yeah. Yeah, the duck camp. So like you come back and like one of them's making your food, you know, and Jesse's like. You know, already half a bottle of wine in, like, mm-hmm. pouring you. And what I really love, too, man, is uh, me and Jesse were both talking about how much we like rosé. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I'll tell you, man, something that's funny about Jesse <laughs> is, like, the first time we were hanging out, and he was at the lodge, and we were fishing, and I was, like, standing there talking to him in the kitchen. It was hot as shit, right, uh, outside. And I'm like, I had, like, these, you know, just, like, dad loafers on, and I, like, <laughs> was kicking them off kind of just like playing around and i go oh i was like yo man i was like my daughter my two-year-old daughter painted my toenails man that's why they look <laughs> like that and he goes dude he's like i just went in my room and put socks on because i realized my daughter had painted my toenails yes. and i didn't want you to think i was an idiot <laughs> <laughs> yes. i was like oh that and then we're like talking about rose and i mean shit dude i like them bubbles too man yeah full uh, circle on jay too jay's a big nail polish guy I was oh that. you know what man that's like only been happening for like a year man oh he's that's like it. that's like a new thing <laughs> him and rachel go out and they uh get pedicures and then they go and eat sushi that's a nice day dude there's nothing wrong with it <laughs> but man he's like yeah he was in the van with me for like a week and you know he's always got his he's always got flip-flops on and then he's got his bare feet like up on the dashboard and he's got shamrocks painted on him and stuff. Ooh, la-di-da, like, huh? dude, he really got, la-di-da, he really got intense, Jay. man, but <laughs> shit, man, he, I mean, I mean, yeah, dude, that's a, that's a man who's comfortable with himself. Very comfortable. But so, yeah, dude, and I'm sure you've had to relate this so many times, but I'm uh-huh. real interested in, so one, like I told you, I love the, fe- are your parents Greek immigrants? Yeah, my father's from Greece. Okay, so yeah. I love the, I got like a real soft spot in my heart for Greeks because of my buddy Pete Cairo, mm-hmm. Petros Cairo, right? Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Man. Uh, who, dude, you guys, you guys, uh, you could be cousins, man. Like, nice. similar, you know, that like kind of stocky, wide Greek build. <laughs> and, dude, man. We are Sparta. Yeah, dude. Pete's <laughs> a beast, dude. Like, Pete, I ain't fighting Pete. If you gave me $100,000, I wouldn't fight that dude, yes, man. Sir. I wouldn't be able to spend it, you know? <laughs> uh, he's from uh, Mansfield, Ohio, dude. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you what, dude. I've been carrying this with me since I, like, had that restaurant, that bar. Uh-huh. So, Pete came. He lived in Little Rock for a while, and then he moved back to Ohio. And, like, his parents, uh, his parents were both from Greece, and they had a... Uh, like a diner mm-hmm. and then you know, his dad started buying up like shitholes and like fixing them up and renting them out and he's like the king of mansfield i think they call him now well, like, that's he just... the greek story right there but so uh so like he was like kind of visiting the bar and saying what's up he's in there and i'm cooking and doing whatever and he comes in and he's like jonathan man he's like man you really remind me of my dad a lot he's like you work like an immigrant <laughs> and I was like, dude, what a fucking compliment. And he's like, you work really hard and you're just fucking grumpy all the time. <laughs> I was like, bet, dude. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I just always think of like his dad. I've never met his dad, but I've seen mm-hmm. pictures, man. And his dad's just, you know, like, yep. you know, built like a Lego block, like a square, you know, like yep, yep. Su- big, super hairy, like Bluto arms. You sure he's not my dad? <laughs> <laughs> he's everybody's dad. Uh, but I always carry that. I was like, dude, what's. I'll tell you what, man. 
I'll take I work like an immigrant every fucking day, oh, dude. Yeah. Especially that cat. I mean, like a dude who came here, like can't speak the language, yep. he's got nothing. Yep. And I mean, it's not like people are going to Mansfield, Ohio on vacation, really. But like, <laughs> he came to a place and and made it his, made his mark on it. Yep. That's that's my dad's exact story. My dad, merchant marine, jumped ship in Chicago, found his oldest sister. He had thirteen siblings, and she was wow. way older in Chicago, and then started you know cooking and met my mom they got deported they both went back to greece to figure it out moved back and then created a little empire in salt lake city of restaurants quarter shop greek american diners oh really yeah. i didn't realize yeah, that yeah, i yeah. didn't realize you came from a family of restaurateurs yep so he was exactly like you explained bought restaurants did cafes and then we had a huge garden and we raised all of our animals my dad was so he came from a small olive growing village that's still there mm-hmm. and you know he just made everything we made all of our own wine we made all of our own booze we raised all of our own animals we freaking if we were doing woodwork or had to fix something we'd go harvest our own glue out of pine you know pitch oh were you really you yeah. doing pine pitch good dang <laughs> Yeah, that's, he was. That's next level. Yeah, though. he was very, you know, tons of beehives, and we just made all of our own food, and it was, and I, I loved that stuff. I was always with my dad. If my dad was going fishing, I was going fishing. If we were going to the kitchen, I was going to the kitchen. I hated school. My sister, on the other hand, was the exact opposite, and she loved school. And my dad was very. He also ran stock market. And he was, you know, savvy Greek business guy mm-hmm. as well on that end. And my sister went to business school and did that, and I stayed in food. And then, uh, yeah. Then it kind of uh, like divided the legacy, divided and, the yeah, legacy. And, uh, yeah, he passed away when I was, uh, 15 years old. And right at that year I got sponsored for snowboarding in Salt Lake and just instantly dropped out of high school and started shredding. Who'd you get sponsored by Burton snowboards? You got sponsored by Burton at 15, but, but way young. Like this is the, the, I'm not like, I mean, I'm not young in the world of snowboarding. Like I wasn't like X games. This is pre I'm older than that, you know? So we would go on the tours like the, and like the Ryan Sickler of snowboarding. <laughs> sure. The, uh, you know, like we would go right around in the van. It was super fun and go like do demos at big different mounds. It yeah. was the dream. It was so fun. And then I got scared snowboarding and I called my mom. Like I was just jumping off scary shit all the time. And I called my mom and I was like, mom, I'm quitting snowboarding. I want to become a fancy chef. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I want to go back to Europe and figure out how to become a chef. And my, is uh, your mom from Europe? Uh, no, my, my grandfather on her side is too. So my dad's, my grand, my mother's dad is. So your mom's like Greek descent, Greek descent. My dad's from Greece. And, uh, uh, long story short, I'm like, she's like, you're going to go back to Greece. You're going to become, we're going to learn how to cook in the village. And I'm like, mom, I know how to like cook a goat over fire. We got this. Like, what am I really going to learn? I want to go to a French fancy culinary school. Long story short, she gets me a Swiss apprenticeship up in the middle of the Swiss Alps. And yeah, so what? Uh, so Switzerland's like, I think Switzerland has like four official languages, right? Yeah. Like German, Italian, French. Roman Latin. Okay. Romance, yeah. So what, what, what section were you in? I was in the Swiss-German-speaking part, right on the border of Austria, Liechtenstein, Germany. Liechtenstein, man. <laughs> Great place to say the name of. My sister lived in... Uh, my sister lived and worked in Lugano. Oh, very down by cool. Italy for oh, like five it's years. So beautiful down there. Yeah, that's a real cool place to visit. Oh. The, uh, this place called Tassis, the American School. Oh, cool. It's like all these rich Americans and mm-hmm. like Russian oligarch, yep, like that, oil oligarch that, people. That tracks to Lugano, the whole vibe on that dude, like that Russian Riviera is, or the Italian Riviera. Dude, that place is gnarly, man. So pretty. That yeah. place is not. I went there like backpacking with my homie. Oh, cool. And, uh, for five years, dude, she had a two-story condo in those mountains and a car 
and all of, she could eat all her meals at the school mm-hmm. did, and she had zero concept of like reality. Like, well, I mean, you know, she's like making decent money or whatever. But then on like spring break, them rich Russians, they'd be like, uh, "I will give you ten thousand dollars to come to Nice." This yeah. is a terrible Russian accent. But like, to, she'd go to Nice for like a week and like tutor the kid and like get like yes. ten thousand in cash. She should still be doing this. Nah, she's. <laughs> <laughs> living in illinois now but uh yeah she, you know she'd be like oh there's a limit on how much cash i can bring back to the u.s <laughs> like, i'll help I, you yeah i don't care about your problems <laughs> I let live me in, problem solve i live in a trailer you. in arkansas dude i ate a squirrel for dinner uh but so you go to switzerland at like 16 then huh uh at that time i snowboarded for three years so i moved there at 17 yeah. okay yeah yeah, and then uh, the coolest thing about this is this is pre-internet era, and so I had to go to the library. I mean, there was internet; I just wasn't like privy to sure. it. So I went to the library and I read it, and it says "famous ski resort town, famous for cheese making and meat making," mm-hmm. and that's pretty much all I got. Unterwasser over Tokenberg, and I get on an airplane, get up in there, take a train up into the mountains, make a phone call from the train station, and I'm driving halfway up a ski resort. Mind you, I just spent my last few years snowboarding and I thought I was walking away from it and this mountains in the middle of the I mean had you resort. set this up before you got there or you just go there and like call they called my mom like my mom called the church somehow they recognized somebody and a church per- like what Greek, Greek Orthodox? Orthodox church okay, and yeah. like there's a part of a Swiss culture once you finish cooking if you want to improve your education you have to go work abroad and it one of these Swiss apprenticeships 10 years ago came to one of my family's restaurants in Chicago Greek American restaurant wow. did an apprenticeship she became a real fancy chef, Annegret Schlumpf, um, amazing woman, and her apprentice got injured. And right at that time, they called and they said, "Hey, somebody got injured. If you get here, you can take this job." So I sold all my climb air, my uh, snowboarding gear, sold my car, threw it in a backpack, and just ended up in this little town. But the coolest thing, which I think you'll relate to, is I get into this hotel and the first day I open up a, the walk-in cooler, and there's a huge ibex hanging in the cooler yeah yeah because that's that's kind of like the thing that they can hunt over there right is yeah, ibex. ibex chamois yeah and you know ray hirsch uh, elk and like little tiny deers and like marmots mm-hmm. but the uh the owner of the hotel berger stump he's kind of the jägermeister hunter master of the valley kind of yeah. like a game warden of it so if you shoot an animal in this valley you bring it up to our up to our restaurant, we'd process it and be able to utilize it in our restaurant or sell it back to the hunters. So I walked, really, what a strange, that's so different than the North American model. Oh yeah. yeah. Big time. And to be so celebrated that you can go to this really high end restaurant and it, during certain times of the year, you could have like, you can order, let's say you can have an Ibex steak. You can have a chamois steak, a chamois steak and a deer steak, and you can order it by like the grams. So I'd be like, hey, I want XXX, and we'd serve it to you on a copper plate sizzling, and we'd have like morels and demi-gloss with whipped cream, or we would have like uh, you know, there's a horseradish cream sauce with butter, and they would just come on little candles, and you could sit and have this warm sauce and try a piece of Ibex. This is like some seriously <laughs> decadent European shit, man. Oh, that's, yeah, it was small little... That's wild. Small little mountain village in the middle of nowhere, and like the neighbors across the street from me were all farmstead cheesemakers. And so I'm in the middle of the mountains. Like I'd go see these people making this livelihood, like making cheese and the kill plant for the, the town meat was in the village. And I just fell in love with that. So I'd go work in the, at the kill and kill, you know, cows and, 
pig or whatever. Are they it taking was. like rennet from there over to the cheese, folks, or is that like rennet? So a lot of the rennet producers, a lot of these protected mountain cheesemakers, it has to come from their farmstead to some place. Okay. So if you're a true protected, they're doing it on farms. Some of them are so protected. If you're in the high Alps, the higher mountain areas where they march their cows up, the wood and the food and the energy they use to fire their kelms have to come from their property as a way to show like management properties. Is there uh and, and so, like, what kind of cheese is it? I mean, so this, people are going to be like Swiss cheese, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah. like, are we talking about, like, soft cheeses, runny cheeses, yeah. fresh stuff? What? So in in the village, when they have it, they can make different types of cheese up there. The most famous cheese that we had up there is called Appenzeller. You can get it in America. That was one ridge to the north, and that's what we call Berkeys or Alpen, Alpkes. And it's like a semi-soft, hard mountain cheese, usually cow milk. Okay. The most famous cheesemaker that we had in our valley, he, he was made Fosterkes, and it was spruce-bound, bloomy rind, semi-soft cheese, kind of like Harbison we have. I've seen like a brie that's wrapped, bound in a spruce tree. I've actually, I've never seen that. It's no. unbelievable. And it like, as it cures and picks up like the moldy closet that year, mm-hmm. and it picks up the flavor of the spruce. And so it's, it's really kind of woody and amazing. And, is it like uh, resinous tasting? It's it's perfumed, so you okay. like it's almost like you got into a cedar sauna if you could taste it in a weird mm. way. Um, but you can bake them whole, or you can stick uh, fruit in them or bread in them. It almost gets like fondue like, so it's like runny, soft. Sure, cheese. sure, sure. Um, they they kind of make cheese throughout the year. So if you're in the village, like if you have a if you're in the village and you're making it throughout the winter when you can't get access, you're usually making like a hard big. Uh, cheese that you can age mm-hmm. or you're making a bloomy rind cheese and then as the grass and the snow melts you move your cows up to your alps up to your farmstead and then up to your highest so the very highest they usually just make fresh cheeses and get them down to the valley they make lots of butter mm-hmm. and in the mid-alp they'll make alp caves and bear caves and then down in their farmstead they'll make the three different types of cheeses that's like man that's pretty incredible like terroir right like oh, the, so the, cool. the elevation is influencing <laughs> almost what they're doing well you can see that you'll be you'll start to recognize the color of the cheese changes mm-hmm. from the amount of grasses that they're eating on the mountain so like way up top in the high of summer the butter is like as bright yellow as like for, you know that manila envelope over there it's just yeah like, it's like all that keratin and yeah is it, is it keratin or what's that. a chlorophyll well chlorophylls and it definitely makes stuff green but yeah. what's the uh, thing in carrots that makes it well, i hope it's keratin because it would make a lot of sense well actually i think keratin's fingernails or or keratin who knows <laughs> uh but so all right so you're over there how long you how long you stay so over there my for? first one was uh the apprenticeship was supposed to be six months at six months i asked bigger if i could stay illegally didn't give me the yes or no answer i just showed up to work mm-hmm. kept working i worked there for another two years and i asked if i could go to school because i recognized i was a high school dropout mm-hmm. and he kind of said no but didn't really give me the full no. i went to school and then i did my uh, cooking apprenticeship and then uh, finished that and by the time i moved to greece after that i'd been there for four and a half years and i finally came home five years later uh are you fluent in greek no not at all swiss german i'm fluent in really yeah yeah my my ex-wife didn't know english and we got through a divorce in swiss german so you know what dude well not what quite a, even a full divorce but we had a breakup what a what a thing to gloss over and we i will allow you to <laughs> my, my, <laughs> no, my ex-wife didn't even speak english yeah. dude that's gnarly dude yeah it was a, uh, something man that's gnarly uh she was Liechtensteinian. Really? Mm-hmm. Not very many of them, huh? Tiny little country. 
feel dude. like it's like Portland. <laughs> that's some man. That's wild. Dude. Weird, Everything you just said shit. about that story <laughs> was like more interesting. She was like, never. She didn't speak English. She from Liechtenstein, yeah, yeah. which is just like, you know, that's something you say in a limerick. Yeah. Here's a, here's a good one. She didn't learn how to drive a car, but her father, she came from a very wealthy family, mm-hmm. um, in air in line to become the princes and princesses, like the first, you know, the monarchy that they run, yeah, like yeah. the next one down. Um, uh, she, her father always said if she was doing something, it didn't matter where she, he'd fund her. So if she was in Spain learning Spanish, it's fine. I'm going to pay for your house. I'm going to do all that stuff. Crazy life. Um, she came to America, never learned how to drive a car, didn't need to. She just had things happen for sure. her. And, uh, but she decided to learn to fly planes. And so I would be line cooking, trying to figure out how to open up this company and be making, you know, next to minimum wage, cooking all the time. And she'd be taking like jet classes and then soloing to Alaska, you know, on, a, on an airplane. She's like, how was your day? And I was like, I don't know, I burnt myself, probably fucking overcooked the pasta. Who knows? Dude. Yeah, I've got all these burn lines <laughs> yeah. on my forearms. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's wild, dude. Interesting stuff. Uh, <laughs> that is wild, man. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. What would you say? Like, maybe the last decade, probably for like decade and a half, right? Mm-hmm. There's been this a growing interest in uh, – in you know well so one the term charcuterie gets so freaking overused Mm -hmm. like just because here's folks just because you put bits of pieces on a board doesn't make it charcuterie Mm -hmm. like you can't have a charcuterie taco board it's just tacos on a piece of wood it's it's not charcuterie (laughs) right like just understand that man you don't have to make it something it's not it's still good yeah but like the idea of like I, I think that just the idea of like fresh sausages is like a revelation to a lot of people, mm-hmm. and it's super intimidating to them. Right? Yep, and I'm always sure. like, dude, if you can make meatloaf, you can make a, a shit ton of fresh sausages. You're ready to go, right? Mm-hmm. Like brats, Italian sausages, oh, yeah. all that stuff you like to, but all that Johnsonville stuff, you can make mm-hmm. all of that. Yep. Like you start getting into emulsified stuff, like it, it's Trickier. easier to mess up. Yeah. Right. Got to keep everything cold. Correct. Uh, but. It'll still be fine. It just might be like a little grainy. Yeah, exactly. Still uh, gonna eat. But yeah, you start introducing mold and stuff, man. You can fermentation. You can gets, mess it up, dog. Yeah, fermentation <laughs> gets a little more tricky. Yeah. So the, the to de to go back just to demystifying charcuterie a little bit. Charcuterie means just cooked meat to some sense. And so when I ask if somebody says you're a charcuterie maker, if I just make it what I am, I'm a value added meat maker. Mm -hmm. So anything you're doing to meat to extend the shelf life or add value to it, you're making charcuterie. Dude, that's a, okay. So freeze frame for a second. Cause Uh that's a super restaurant term. Yeah. Value added, Mm -hmm. uh, which is probably worth like explaining a little bit. Yeah. Anything that you're adding, you're extending the shelf life or when you say value added, like, the the most simple I can think of of a cure or a piece of charcuterie is roast beef. So you've salted it mm-hmm. and you've cooked it and you've cooled it and you're extending the shelf life of it a little bit and you've added value and flavor to it than it was the pot roast or the raw chuck round before yeah. it was. That's just adding more things to it. So if you're slicing a mid-rare roast beef sandwich, you are already making charcuterie. Yeah. If you're roasting a shoulder, if you're making a ham, any of those things, you're already 
doing this process. If you're smoking a pork shoulder, it's essentially charcuterie. You're just cooking meat and extending the shelf life of it. And so initially the, that my job in its initial is just adding value to the entire animal and utilizing every piece of it and extending it shelf life so you can use it throughout the seasons. If I'm yeah. fermenting it, slow cooking and it. And out fat. of practicality too, mm-hmm. right? Like originally out of practicality. 100%. Uh, Adding smoke, fermenting it, putting yeah. it in casings, doing whatever you can to preserve it without the comfort of refrigeration. Yeah. Yeah. Introducing this like lacto fermentation and i'm just mm-hmm. look i'm saying that i don't actually know what lacto fermentation means i you're would right. love for you to explain it to me yeah uh you want me to yeah please yeah so when you're making salami you're fermenting it um and it is a lactic acid culture and initially what you would do is you would add maybe a dextrose to it there is sometimes an enough pig and in certain animals there is a higher sugar sugar content in them that the lactic culture lactic acid cultures can consume the sugars and release lactic acid. And when it's releasing this acid is dropping the pH. So once the pH gets to a certain level, bacterias and pathogens can't survive. So we use a degree calendar. Essentially when you do this, when you walked into my fermenting room, Mm -hmm. we have what we call a degree challenge and you're having the pH drop in the danger zone in which bad pathogens want to survive, but there's a time ratio. So we know in six degree hours at 80 degrees, choose any of them, uh, staph, E. coli, (laughs) trichinosis, they will expand. But if you drop the pH fast enough, it'll not give them an environment to expand. So you can even have it. It can be inoculated with staphylococcus or salmonella. And if you get your pH down quick enough, this will not survive and it will die. So dropping the pH, having the lactic acid lower the acidity will not allow the pathogen to survive or expand. And then that lactic acid becomes like a flavoring component, right? You can, yeah. It, it, if you eat a lot of American salamis, they're very, very tangy. The yeah. most current one of the most Americans recognize is summer sausage. Mm-hmm. It's sour. Yeah. So that's already fermented, but then it's cooked. So it, uh, summer sausage is fermented the same way. You give it a sour tang, you lower the pH, then you put it in your smokehouse, and you smoke it, and that will lower the suspended moisture in it, the water activity. That's making it shelf-stable. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then the salami, as opposed to cooking it, you're creating those environments that are slowly wicking the moisture off the outside, creating those mold blooms and slowly but surely air drying your salami. And so when you're, when you are, so you've got this like ground seasoned meat that's going mm-hmm. through this curing process, right? Mm-hmm. And that moisture is leaving it. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you explain to people a little bit how, you know, because we're conditioned to think that, you, like, you have to cook meat, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, would you describe that as cooking, or would you describe that as a, a different process? I would call it, I would describe it as curing, not heat treating, is okay. what, what you call it. And what happens there is, so once you got the first hurdle down, and food safety reasons is the, the fermentation, the pH drop, the next likelihood that any spoilage or bacteria could exist would be suspended water, the moisture content in the meat. And the salt pulls that moisture out. And once that dries to what we refer to as suspended water or water activity to a certain low level, then nothing can grow in it. You can't have E. coli grow. You can't have staph grow. Nothing will grow. So as soon as you get the pH low enough and the water activity, the suspended moisture in the product, it is completely what we call shelf stable. It no longer can go bad. So it could get harder and be unedible. <coughs> you know, it could get oxidized, mm-hmm. or the feet could, you know, the the fat could slowly but surely get rancid, 
but only to flavor profile. But in theory, you could not get sick from it. It is shelf stable cured meat because it's not the. That's why, like some meat, you can eat raw. It's not the mm-hmm. the fact that heat's been applied to it or not. It's like the heat, the sterilizing effect that the heat's providing is like getting whatever is dangerous in there to a temperature that it Dive. no longer survives. Exactly. Uh, so you you can cure it by fermentation in the suspended water, or you can cook it in the temperature variation. You know, they all die at different temperatures, but 140, 145, mm-hmm. or lower, depending on the time you keep it there, will kill. We'll do the same exact thing as drying it will, just way quicker. All right, so let me ask you a question. Because yes, in hunting, uh, like, dude, so like, just straight up, like people are afraid of bear meat, right? Yes, sir. It's because they've been they've been told about trichinosis, right? It's the same thing with mountain lions, mm-hmm. and it's the same reason why like everybody's parents think you have to cook pork until it's just like boot leather, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, would you be just I'm obviously not here at Olympia Provisions, but would like in your own personal dealings, would you be messed up about using one of these preparations on bear meat? I would. If I'm if I'm addressing bear meat and I'm mm-hmm. trying to make it into a non-heat treated fermented salami, I would be sure I would know what pH, what acidity trichinosis dies at. Yeah, which I know is it's high. It's like I think it's four six something like that. I would make sure that a hundred percent. I'd take a pH meter and I would see it hit four point six degrees, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, trichinosis will not survive in this. And then you'd be comfortable consuming 100%. it. 100%. You'd feed it to your mama. Absolutely. Yeah. I would To any human being. And then I would dry it to make sure it doesn't come to whatever it is. And the same as cooking. So it's like if you're, it is trichinosis heavy. We are aware that bear meat contains a lot of mm-hmm. trichinosis. So you should address that. You should sure. make sure that you cook it to the proper temperature. And you can do that with a thermometer pretty easy. We're very comfortable with the slow cooking it in fat, all sure, the ways sure. that we cook it. We can see that. But on the other hand, if you're going to make it into a salami or a summer sausage, be very adept at fermentation recognize how to calibrate your ph machine know that your ph hit that and then go forward it wouldn't be the first place i'd say hey tomorrow if you're going to make your first salami and use like a test strip go find start a grizzly with bear, bear meat. Yeah, yeah don't start with a bear meat go go get some usda approved pork start there get comfortable with ph because trichinosis has pretty much been wiped out in usda approved facilities yeah. right mm-hmm. and the trichinosis i'd have to please google this if you're out there and you're going to do this before you do it but i'm pretty sure there's a trichinized study in freezing i want to say three months under deep freezing is a trichinized reduction okay so i think if you don't go doing this and eat raw bear meat until you yeah. double fact verified this but i know in pork for sure you there is a test like if you're going to make a prosciutto ham Mm-hmm. And you don't want to use excess amount of salt that will, will <coughs> excess amount of salt that will kill it. You what you can freeze the meat prior for X amount of time, and then it's trick. It's considered a trichination reduction. Yeah, I mean, dude, and uh, yeah, I like I told you, I haven't really delved into the <clears throat> the dry cured meats, and I would definitely not start with bear meat. No, but I eat the shit out of bear meat. Just Heck yeah, make a roast, man. The kids love it. Uh, what <clears throat> if if someone so someone I'm sure people have asked you this millions of times, right? Mm-hmm. But someone who's procuring their own meat, mm-hmm. right? So hunting or they got a goat in the backyard and mm-hmm. they had to take it down because it yes, goats stink and pee all over themselves and eat your fence. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So where would you? Someone's like, man, I want to. I'm interested in charcuterie. Where would you tell them to start? 
Uh, I would, I would, <laughs> depends on how well versed they are. Like by making a product, is that what you're saying? I, th- I mean, so I guess I'm, I actually, you could answer this as broadly as you wanted. Uh, excuse me. You could mm-hmm. say like, oh, you should start with this text or you should say like, Mm-hmm. You know, like like in my mind, like the easiest thing is like Brazola or something, yeah. right? Like that's pretty simple, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so from a a simple way to preserve your meat, no matter what it is, I would learn the art of comfy. Okay. Yeah. Do it, man. What a great point. Yeah. Because yeah. we forget that's a preservation method. It is a hundred percent the most basic fundamental way, especially with bear meat, where mm-hmm. you're something high fat content, yeah. lower lean meat content. Make yourself a high marinade this season it slow cook it in its own fat removing the moisture and capping it with this beautiful uh bear fat and that is a preserved pate to an extent yeah that's where i'd say learn with duck duck confit is the most classic yeah you know uh most delicious way and you're going to preserve it if you do it the right way you can hold a confit for a year if you heat it back up to where we kill all pathogens again and recap it reheat it recap it keep it in your refrigeration it's gonna it'll last. like it'll ripen yeah it'll yeah. get way more uh get in, indami, umami yeah, it'll and get all those intense flavors. man yeah but you're like so with that fat as i understand that fat cap that you're talking about Correct. like and that's meaning that you know and i think i've talked about this on the podcast but you know like basically french peasants who couldn't read uh you know, 500 years ago, figured out that if you took these old tough geese mm-hmm. and you cooked them for a long time and all that rendered fat, and then you put it in an earthen crock down in the root cellar mm-hmm. and covered it with enough liquid fat that all the meat was submerged, when that stuff dried, you'd be creating an anaerobic environment. Correct. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you could break that seal, get that meat out, like crisp it in a pan, take mm-hmm. that fat and make some like potatoes or something with it. Like uh, very, yeah. very good. <laughs> like the tasty. Yeah. So good on salads or just hand chopping it together and folding it back in and making a rillette and spreading yeah, it. Yeah. Rillette is in that is considered the first butter to a lot of people where they would take a stale piece of bread and moisten it with a fat. And it was always high protein fats and mm-hmm. duck and geese and all of those things to moisten stale breads. Uh, I mean, dude, rillettes are, man, they, they work really good with, a. Uh with waterfowl it's oh, a yeah. it's a great way to like utilize the skin from waterfowl mm-hmm. like as you get all that collagen and yeah, yeah you just like whip it up and mm-hmm. pack it in like little uh those little tiny uh, mason jars yeah like that's a great thing like you go over to somebody's house with oh, that God. and some bread and a bottle of wine dude like that's you should be a hero that's legit man yeah you know and it's if people are you know if you have a, a slightly swampy or a muddy tasting duck or something yeah you can really you can really adulter the, the the flavor you can add more cognac you can add, add booze you can add more spice you can really start playing with how you're gonna like flavor Mm-hmm. If you're like, hey, I don't want the simplicity in it. You can put star anise in your fat. You can put lots of garlic when you're comfying it to add to it. So it's a way to really utilize it and not be like, yeah, this one tastes X. And not like just yeah. throwing it back in and the And it's pot. like, it's pretty simple, right? Like <laughs> you just simplest. put it in a pot in the oven, leave it in there for like, you could set it at 175 and like leave it for 17 hours. Fall asleep. Yeah. I and put then, it in at the night and you wake up in your house and it smells like slowly cooking yeah. duck fat in heaven and you're doing all right. You could mash coffee. it all up, spread it, you yeah. could throw it on you make like mm-hmm. tacos, I mean anything with it, dude. It's, yeah. It's so great. I, I would definitely say 
that's where I would start. And then the next step, if you're going to like take the next step into it, and especially if you're a waterfowler, an upland game hunter, anybody that has any kind of excess odd cuts, is I would just learn how to make a pate. And that's all you need is a grinder and a pot, right? You know, because you have your comfy, you already know how to make that, Rhea. The next thing you need is to just make a pate. Would you actually, so I'm Joe Schmo, uh -huh. whitetail hunter. Yeah. Right, I killed me a I killed me a deer. I know about cutting them back straps out. Yeah, and uh, you know, my daddy always made a deer burger with uh -huh. the hams. Heck yeah! Right, uh, and, you know, and I got a little recipe. I like to take the shoulders, soak them in Coca Cola, and put them on the smoker, man. Heck yeah! So now I've got you know neck meat, shanks, rib meat, mm -hmm. uh, just some stuff, right? Maybe some call fat. Any of your grind. Yeah. So what would? So how would? How would just a fella take that old – man, that's what you're supposed to throw in the road ditch. How do I turn that into make, pate? Yeah, make a pate. Uh, pate is a real fancy word for cold meatloaf, just like you said. And we use a panade, which is I think a lot of meatloaf recipes uses a bread filler of some sort. Mm -hmm. So you would take old bread and you'd <clears throat> soak it in cream and a booze. I usually use cognac or if you like whiskey or if you like bourbon. Soak your bread in that and in about a third – of that, and then you'd make your spices, whatever your flavor is. If I'm having a white tail, I'm, I'm, I'm into juniper, I'm into sage, I'm yeah. into herbs, I'm into those things, and I would marry those all together. Put them in my fridge overnight with it, uh, per pound. If you're eating something cold, it's two teaspoons per pound of salt. And I'd put those in there overnight, and I'd sit it there, and I'd wake up in the morning, and I'd grind that all together and lightly mix it. And then maybe I'd be like, hey, Jesus, I'm in the Midwest. What do you guys have out there for dried cherries? What is your dried fruit? Maybe you have... <laughs> nuts but i don't know what nut grows out there pecans in the south what do you guys have in the oh shit man i would say like acorns? Uh, pecans hickory nuts i mean acorns if you leach the tannins and roasted them would yeah they popped out put yeah. them put them in there and then put it in a slow vessel and then slowly slowly roast it if you had call fat wrap the outside of that thing mm -hmm. in the middle of your call let that call fat cook on the inside just cook it barely don't roast it to 200 degrees try to get the thermometer out and cook to 145 150 that's a great place to put your offal if you don't want to waste it yeah just enough to get the flavor in there but not that it's a and you could grind part. it or like just chop it like a mince exactly just fold it all in there mm -hmm. like you're making it and then slow cook it cool it and then just slice it and enjoy yeah so i mean you're talking i mean that would be like a terrine right a terrine yeah country style pate yeah exactly you, you, know, you, you can do it in any vessel yeah just like a loaf pan exactly works great man <laughs> yeah. you could do a bunch of little ones and muffin tins mm -hmm. or something i guess if you wanted to yeah. you can make kind of like little crepiniers or something all of it and, and honestly the there is very traditional high-end pates made in all the greatest charcuterie shops that are meatloaf's open formed on a on a patty yeah you don't have to have the tureen if you sure. want to make it like a meatloaf and just over season it with panade and make sure it's nice and seasoned and boozy and you have your garnishes in it and you're ready to go for a pate it's something very fun to play with yeah and you could uh i'll tell you what else it strikes me is that all those stocks that you should be making with all those bones mm -hmm. and everything else man all that gelatinous mm -hmm. i'm always telling people like just simmer the shit out of your bones mm -hmm. until like you're like oh there's nothing left and then put it in silicone ice cube trays mm -hmm. and then man you could you could take a few of those out you could throw that in that liquid mixture in your, in your penne yeah in just your anything man you could add a little collagen you could add a little extra flavor yep. 
uh, yeah, dude, you could do. You just got to start. Yeah, that's the funniest thing about those pâtés. Like, make your first one if you're going to throw it away anyways. Mm-hmm. Take notes. Yeah. What did I do? I added too much booze. I didn't add enough juniper or rosemary. Slowly but surely start making it. You know, it's, I think it's a ton of fun. You don't need a casing. You don't need to have to worry about your bind as much as you do when you make a bratwurst or any of that stuff. It's yeah. just like run it through once, run it through twice, put it in a mold and roast it through. And you look at you, you're a charcuterie maker. And what you're talking about is not super different than like a Cajun boudin, right? Exactly. Like that's a very similar kind of a process mm-hmm. and that can be cased or, or uncased, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, they do do uncased boudin. This is... <laughs> My charcuterie knowledge not holding up to it. I've never made boudin. Oh, really? Uh-uh. Oh, man, dude. Yeah, it's so good. You would crush it, man. Pudding, right? Huh? You pudding sausages where you put just tons of panade and booze in Okay, it. yeah, man. Okay, so there's there's like French boudin and there's uh-huh. Cajun boudin, right? Yeah. And so like French boudin would be like a boudin blanc So or those I could like make. That. I lied about that. Yeah. Vice versa and those things. are So like Cajun boudin would yeah. be, you would take, so like traditionally it would be like, you would take some like uh, muscle meat from a pig, right? So like mm-hmm. maybe you take like some shoulder, a uh, lot of liver. A lot of folks mm-hmm. use chicken livers, okay. right? You would cook all that up. You'd use Trinity. Oh, you pre-cook it. Yeah, you you pre-cook everything. Oh wow! So you like pre-cook rice. Mm-hmm. You uh, take your Trinity and like your stock and your mm-hmm. liver and your roast meat, and you have that all combined. You run that through the grinder. You mix that with rice. And then that's just boudin. And then if you stuff it in a, a lot of times they stuff it pretty loosely in a hog casing. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, all throughout Louisiana, and it's really like kind of like around that Baton Rouge area. You stop at grocery stores, you know, I want, I want three links and they'll just cut it with a pair of scissors. Damn. I like boudin. That's uh, a lot of people just squeeze it out of the casing and mm-hmm. then they like eat it on a cracker with mustard. Cold. Uh, yeah, cold or hot. Like it, a lot of times it's steamed. They steam it in the link. I like to crisp up the casing. Oh, yeah. Uh, like so on the grill or just like in a skillet. And it, I mean, it's essentially dirty rice inside of a casing. It sounds like heaven. Dude, it's so good. <laughs> it's such a great way to, to yeah. use all that stuff, man. Like that's what I'm going to do with uh, the guts from that pig I killed the other day. Uh, mm. And I mean, it'll make a ton. And that's the thing, too. It's like kind of a, it's like making tamales or something, right? Like, it's not hard. It's just involved. Takes a bunch of counter space mm-hmm. up. But dude, that's like the greatest gift in the world. Man. Oh, I bet. Yeah. You show up at your buddy's house, man. You got a six pack and a bunch of boudin, man. Like <laughs> they're not throwing you away. You can no. spend the night, <laughs> dude. Or like that terrain you're talking about. Uh-huh. That same dude I told you about, Brandon. He taught me this. <clears throat> uh, when you're making like, you know, so like a a pate type terrain like that, or if you were doing like a head cheese or anything. Uh, when it's cold, like slice it and dredge it in cornmeal and then freeze it and then drop that in deep fryer. deep fryer. Oh yeah. And then like, especially all that aspic stuff inside, mm. like it's like, you know, soup dumpling style. Like yeah. it kind of liquefies inside. Yeah. Crunchy. Dude, Goodness. it's awesome. And like, or, you know, take that. I'm, I'm real big on like textural differences. So like, mm-hmm. you know, I'd like a thick slice of that to where even the inside would not get warm through, but yeah. you could, sear the outside on a griddle and throw that like on a some some bread with like some onion and pickles and mustard yeah dude heaven. stupid good dude heaven, it's just heaven, like heaven. fancy spam yep exactly you know? that's 
That's all it is, the, man. Those with the head cheeses. Oh, my God. When it's all full of like that head cheese gelatin and you yeah. bread it and fry it. And the Dutch, they have that thing called, have you ever had bitter ballen? It's essentially pâtés. And so one of them, they mix it with bejamel like a croquette. And then, they, really? and then they bread them and fry them. Oh, I bet that's amazing. That's unbelievable. And you can't stop eating That'd them. be like good bar food, man. It's what they're good Just at. Sit around and drink <laughs> Heineken's. And... Yeah, Heine's and a bunch of bitter balling and let's go. Dude, that's a... Uh, from my from my European travels, I held on to, I could say, uh, uh, Dway beers, a spleef, yeah. two beers, please. And mm-hmm. then I'd say Donkaville. Yeah, Donkashon. Yeah, that's all I would say, man. You nailed. That's all you need. But really, I would just be like, hey, I speak English. And then every Dutch person is like, oh, hello. No problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all speak it, and yeah. we're all strapping human beings. Yeah, my, <laughs> name, is, my name is Dirk something or other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> man, how many... So you're making, and you took me on this really amazing tour of your facility here, man. And there's like, it's so incredibly like, like you got USDA offices in there. It's like so maintained and so clean, but there's still this very pleasant, like tang in the air from those processes that are happening. Uh But so like, do you know off the top of your head, like how many different uh, products you're making now yeah we make i think we offer 110 different SKUs. so that's like uh the products in different formats as products i make 65 different products that's or, a such a big number man. it's a huge amount of stuff yeah but we're talking anything from different seasonings and all the different salamis and i fully utilize those pigs so i make pet treats out of skin and bones all the way down to a frankfurter a bratwurst a kielbasa a bacon a ham a landrauk schinken you name it if it's made out of a pig i i make it here pretty much head cheese i don't blood sausage i don't and boudon apparently i don't uh dude would you have, you got to come duck hunt in arkansas man we'll make Put boudin, me man, in dude. dude it's that stuff's man that stuff's great, dude. Absolutely. I would love it. I'll, I'll bring the salami. Some. There you go. <laughs> I mean, shit, you could stuff a pepper with that. I mean, you could do oh, so yeah. much. And, dude, it's just, I mean, yeah, dude, you could take the head of your deer and just, like, boil it and get all that stuff off and chop up Cheek the tongue meat. and the oh, eyes yeah. and everything. Uh, now, I will say this, man, and I've described it many times on this podcast. <laughs> I'm not an ungulate liver is an intense thing, dude, mm-hmm. and I'm not into it. Mm. Like I, I think it tastes like a mushy bag of pennies. Yeah, and it's I, I've tried it, man, and I've tried it, and I've decided that I'd rather use it to catch catfish. Mm. Not bad. Uh, Jay grinds all of his elk livers up, and he does one pound of liver to eight pounds of ground. Oh yeah, for burgers. Yeah, and just mm-hmm. people love it, right? I think just like enough of that mm-hmm. stuff that your body craves that you don't realize mm-hmm. it. But, like, man, you know, bird livers are just oh, yeah. killer. And it, there's a lot. It is, is it the irony flavor that you yeah, don't like. It's you the know? metallic part. Um, uh, milk is a huge trick. This is like soaking the liver? Soaking in because it, it attracts iron, lactic. It attracts iron, and that's the bloody flavor you can. Mm. So it, it'll take a lot of that bitterness out. So if you soak and change your change your liver two or three times, it'll pull, you know, reduce it to almost no irony flavor in it. But you'll still get the liver pungent, like the, the awfully taste, that good mm-hmm. flavor in it. But the irony where you feel like, you feel like you're almost biting on a copper penny, yeah. that gets yeah, yeah. real offensive to a lot of people. Sure. And milk, the, the lactose will attract iron out of it, and you'll see. You'll soak it and soak it, and all that blood will come right out, and the flavor will change. 
I'll make you some liver sometime. Dude, I'll, man, I'll, I'm down to try. I mean, I believe you, dude. I'll try it. Uh, I'll make it good, I promise. Dude, yeah, I'd be uh, I'd be into that because you do kind of sometimes I feel a little bad. Sure. But, I mean, look, dude. If you're catching I've, catfish, that's an upgrade, though. Yeah, that's a value added. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, look, dude, like I've eaten the I've eaten the balls off a of deer. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I'm not just wasting stuff. Sure. Uh, they're not great. I've not eaten a thing. lot of turkey balls. That's but, not my thing. Dude, I mean, they're not. You know what I do is I just make, I just, if I'm making dirty rice with, like, turkey giblets, I just, like, mince up the mm-hmm. testes and it kind of goes away. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's not the greatest thing in the world. And it's not even, it's not the, the psychosomatic part. They're just... They're not that pleasant. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more. It's not not something I want to do for so it just doesn't call to me. Like I just my buddies they'll eat the elk nuts and everything and for some reason it's the and I eat everything. Sure. It's the one thing I've I've tried twice in my life. In in Switzerland, the hunters that brought the animals in, we would cook them um two dishes usually always and one of them was liver with demi-gloss over hash browns with savory whipped cream and then the second mm. one was a, a the, we'd crack the head open deep fry the brain and serve it with applesauce and sour cream really and that that's up there too with one being like i've ate it a couple times and i'm like i think i'm good i don't yeah, like the texture brain, and like the things that are happening there my um, grandma was like real big into eating like uh pig brains and scrambled eggs Oof. and you know in the south like eating squirrel brains is like an old is it a country. thing it's like a it's like kind of an older person thing <laughs> uh but yeah dude like uh or have you ever have you ever read that book series uh the foxfire books mm. so the foxfire books was like this this like cultural anthropologist in the 70s who i believe actually ended up being like a dirt bag and like child predator but oh, he has this whole series of books and he like basically had these like college students with him in like the 70s and they were up in appalachia mm. like getting all these first person accounts from like these people that you know some of these people were like you know born right after the civil war mm. in this very remote area so uh-huh. they learn how to like make wooden wagon wheels and uh you know how to like uh like how to uh, strip a coon tail with like a fort stick and whatever sure, else. Yeah. But yeah, I remember reading about it and uh, this, this older lady talking about how uh, like getting to eat the eyes and the brain from the possum was like the treat. <laughs> like if you were like a good girl, you got the possum brain. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that comes from a, you know, like if you, if you denied a person, all the access to vitamins and everything that we had, dude, like they're going to start craving like the gnarlier bits of an animal. Oh, for sure. You know, they're going to like go for that fat behind the eyes. Absolutely. Eating the kidneys. And it's like something you would be repulsed by possibly would become very uh, attractive and satiating to you. And it's because like your body needs it. Yeah. When you're hungry, it's a different craving. Yeah. When your body needs these minerals and I mean, that's, it's a true thing. You know, my father too, being the old school Greek guy, there was not an animal we didn't boil the whole head, and eyeballs were first choice for him. They yeah, popping them out. And pop. dude, that's a like texturally, that's a weird thing, dude. Yeah. It's a it's a tricky, tricky, tricky thing for me to consume. But you know, it's all meat. I say it all the time. And if you're if you're into it, you can eat it. It's just if I don't have to. Currently, there's a few things: balls, eyeballs. I'm not 
chowing down a ton. But then it's strange because I love tongue. I'll eat tongue twice a week. Yeah, but tongue is not. I mean, tongue <laughs> tastes like pot roast, you know? Yeah, it's and, a great texture. <laughs> yeah, and it, it just doesn't it doesn't mess with you as much. Uh, I also think it's the application. So, like, I, you know, I grew up my dad eating chitlins, mm-hmm. just like stewed pig intestines. And, mm-hmm. like, Fried. they're awful. <laughs> they're awful. But... I was in Texas, and uh, there I bought some like trepas tacos, and it's just like crispy uh, cow intestines, Mm -hmm. and it tasted like uh, fried chicken skin, Mm -hmm. and it was great. Oh, the best! Uh, But man, dude, those uh, dude, this is insane, dude. I just saw this. I gotta take a picture of this. This chandelier in here, (laughs) that is. It doesn't have the globes on it, man. That's identical to the chandelier that's in the house I grew up in. It's still my mom's house. It's like this Art Deco from the 30s house. Dude, that's gnarly. I just looked up and saw that, dude. With the candles and everything, huh? Well, no. So so those candles, I think, are those might be an add-on. Definitely that centerpiece. Uh See how that? Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely the same. I actually think the rest of it's slightly different, but I bet you it's the same company, man. I'll send it to my mom. My mom enjoys it. She loves uh, that, yeah. So where do you stand on heart? Are you okay with eating heart? Yeah, I'm down with heart, man. Uh, I mean, I eat all the bird hearts. Mm -hmm. I keep all my, like that last bear heart, I like bacon cured it and smoked it and just used it in gumbo. Mm. Uh, Yeah, I'm not, I've been seeing this like heart tartare trend that like, I mean, it's it just doesn't like scream out to me. Like Jesse's got this, what's that stuff called? Parissa. Mm. Are you familiar with that? That's the disease that the rodent disease. No, 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 no. What's that called? Trichinosis comes from rodent turds. Parissa is this weird, like isolated thing in this part of Texas, where they you ever heard of, like cannibal sandwiches? Yeah. It's like ground hamburger meat and raw onions. Uh-huh. And it's like up in some Midwest city. Parissa is like ground uh, beef and jalapenos and cheddar cheese, and you just eat it on a Ritz cracker. Raw. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it, man, it's like, it's all right, but. Mm-hmm. You can skip it. I mean, like, you know, I'll you put it out there, I'll eat some, but I'm not like <laughs> going to nail a bowl of it. Uh, but I also like, like, buyers just been getting me into eating. Uh, sashimi and stuff too Ooh, that's good because yeah. i just like and i know it's all shipped or whatever man but <laughs> like dude i'm just you know man i'm if i'm gonna eat seafood i want to eat it in a place where like, there's some expectation it might be coming from close by it's <laughs> just full you yeah dude and just i don't know man like just little rock ain't the place i'm just trying to like nail sushi <laughs> Uh, but like we were in, I dropped off in Sacramento. Like I ate it there and it was, yeah. it was quite good. Delightful. Uh, and I'll tell you what was my favorite. We had this like big sashimi platter mm. and, uh, it was like, uh, yellowtail and fatty tuna, tuna and salmon belly. Yeah. Yeah. Salmon oh. belly dude. But, uh, the best bar none was the octopus. Oh yeah. Fan dude. Oh man. I yeah. crushed. I would have eaten. I would have preferred just all that octopus. Man. That's my people's food. Dude. <laughs> yeah, 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 man. Like, yeah. Dude, that stuff's amazing. Yeah. I spent so much time trying to, when I lived there, I was trying to hunt them with a spear, like a trident. Yeah. And I'd watch these like little kids be able to do it. And I was, I never even came close. But I'd see tons of octopus. Not tons. 
but I'd see enough octopus that I should have killed. Just someone. like what snorkeling or something? Yeah, snorkeling, holding your breath and trying to get it. But I had no clue what I was doing. You know, Jay's like huge in oh, that. Now. Big at it. Yeah, like he's he. Well, he's learning from like one of the best spear fishermen in the planet. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Let's see this. <laughs> Jay's gonna be so good at it. Oh, dude, man, he was like, well, the first, the first like crudo and like sashimi I ever ate was like, uh, it was a short build. It was a short build swordfish. Oh wow! I think that he had speared down in a in Hawaii, dude, and it was man, it was super good, dude. Of course, super good. What? Uh, well, look here, man. I know you got to go get cleaned up because you said your mom's birthday. Yeah, mom's birthday today for sure. How uh, how old is your mom? Seventy nine. Oh dang, dude, that's a big one, dude. Yeah. Is she calling you now? That's my uh, wife's calling me, being like, "All right, what are you doing?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're gonna wrap this up. Uh, man, we really didn't even talk about like all your upland stuff and all your hunting here in Oregon, but <laughs> we have more. Deep. We'll do it again sometime, man. That's easy. Uh, but so I mean, you <laughs> could you could just. You could just Google Olympia provisions, but like if folks, so I mean, you're carried like all over the country, right? Like Whole Foods. I mean, this is yeah, like, yeah, we distribute across the nation. Readily available. I think so. Yeah. If you don't, you can like white wrappings, got like the red and mm -hmm. white label. We ship direct too. So if you want to try it in my products, I'll, you know, mail them to you all over America for sure. Uh, and then, I mean, is that like your, well, we didn't even talk about it. You have how many restaurants? Five? Yeah, this will be five restaurants. Are they all in Portland? Yep. Yep, you should go right down the street, two blocks from here, and eat the octopus. Oh, really? Yeah, you should. I'll, I'll call Dude, them and tell them you're coming. Oh, man, I might. You have time. Yeah, I really don't have anything else to do. Uh, Dude, I'm... Please do. So so excited to meet you, dude. Like yeah. just what what an absolute pleasure, man. And oh, this, this place you put together is so cool. Oh, and thank you so much. Man, something I noticed, like the way you spoke to your employees and like... Look, they could all be totally full of shit, but like they, I would actually say they all seemed happy. Hey, how you so. doing? I mean, I've had lots of bosses, and I didn't pretend like I liked them that much. And they're like, hey, oh, man, trying to do my best job in here, man. Just learn how everything runs. And you're like, oh, you're killing it, man. I've got good reports. Thanks a lot. Uh, but that's like something I saw with – that's something I've seen at uh, Jesse at Dai Dewey. That's mm -hmm. something I've seen uh, with Leroy and Lewis is – and like we talked about, it's amazing – but if you uh, treat people like they're, you appreciate them, and like they're, they're ultimately the ones that are allowing yeah. you to have the business you have. Like, yeah, it, it's it's almost like they appreciate being treated like human beings, and they <laughs> work, strange. they yeah. work hard for strange. you. Yeah, it is. It, it's you know, and I, I, I guess I've had enough shitty bosses and been around enough shitty working things. It's the last thing you want to do is go into a place that you dread. We have to yeah. go there 40 hours a week or more or less, depending on what situation you're in. But I think at some point you should recognize we all have to do this and it should be a very enjoyable, respectable place. You could learn, you could work hard at, have pride in it. That's huge, man. Like have, I think that's probably not that common anymore. It's just it's someone sad. like feeling proud of what they do. Yeah. You should walk out of here. Or I walk out of your job and be like, I just killed it. Like I just did a good job. I work hard. I'm proud of what I did. Nobody's doing winky winky. We're actually here trying to make the best thing we possibly can. Yeah. And if that, if you're not proud of that, I mean, go, 
go work anywhere else. There's a million other jobs that you can just go sit and squeeze by, but there's a good group of people that like to work hard and be surrounded by people trying to do their best and pushing themselves. And that's, you know, I think for a, a boss like Jesse and everybody, you, you just got to be consistent. You know, you, you're the one that has to, if a product's under par and you're going to eat the cost of it, you mm-hmm. got to throw it away. You yeah. got to make sure that you're, you set that standard and as hard as it is, you show up cheery. If you're not making money this month and you worked your ass off, you've still got to figure out how to be positive and know, Hey, we're going to fix this. You can't take it out on them. You can't take it yeah. out on people. It's like, everybody wants to do it. Come in, work hard, set the bar. Be positive. Yeah, nobody wants to work for. I mean, dude, an attaboy goes a long way. Heck yeah. Nobody wants to just be. I mean, I remember being dog cussed on a roof, and it's like, dude, you know how hot it is up here. Yeah, why? You talking to me like a dog? Yeah, exactly. You think I want to? You think I want to bust my ass for you? Yeah, you. It's not the most lovely work environment, right? We work. I love it. I love working in a cooler. I love being at thirty-two degrees on a slippery floor, lifting heavy things and mm-hmm. throwing them. But it's a unique place. Yeah, that's a unique work environment for people to do. So, but they can come and get a cup of coffee, have lunch. Yeah. Yeah. Take meat home, enjoy each other's company, have positive conversation, know whatever they, whatever positive, you know, ideas they have for improvement, we're going to listen and value. And that goes a long way. Seeing change and recognize, Hey, I could change this process. I can walk out of here and take this product to my mom and be like, Hey, this is the best thing I can make in America with the coolest animals farm the proper way. That goes a long way. You know, you yeah. should be proud of that stuff. Yeah. I think. And then you're dude. And then you're. I do it. I bet it's. I bet it's rad for your mom. Oh, my mother! Oh my goodness! Because that's because that's all. That's like having a a kid who's like a, you know, is like on a big TV show or something. Because that's like such an approachable thing that like, oh, you should taste the taste the sausage that my son made. Yeah, my mom's by far the my biggest fan, and she used to do demos before. Uh, retirement so she'd go to whole foods and be the oh, demo really? gal and she'd be like this is my son this is my son <laughs> yeah dude moms are great for <laughs> the dude. best for my mom like my mom sends me messages oh you're so handsome and i'm yeah. so proud of you and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> thank you mom thanks man i really appreciate it man because i <laughs> yeah. kind of was feeling like a dirtbag today <laughs> but uh anyway man so olympiaprovisions.com i imagine yep, that's us uh or any place that fine cured meats are sold correct uh and dude seriously thank you so much for oh, thanks for having come me and come back up we'll, talk, we'll actually talk about hunting and <laughs> yeah 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 man but yeah you go take care of mama i will do thanks uh, so much for yeah, this dude, man thank i really you. appreciate it and thanks everybody for listening until next time thank you so much for listening all the way through to this episode of the black duck revival podcast as always produced and brought to you by me jonathan wilkins and brian Sachs, uh and man i I hope you guys have been enjoying following along with uh, my 28 day long trip all the way out there you know so we did texas california oregon colorado uh, new mexico uh finished up in oklahoma just an experience and, and you know like a time that it's kind of hard to describe just having enough time to just let stuff breathe you know like your knowledge base has some time to breathe and just expand and settle in and your relationships with people and and all of that man so it's been so fun uh keeping you guys kind of abreast of what's going on and we'll be doing more of that stuff a lot more of that kind of stuff uh i think is you know whatever this is black duck revival is going to move into that wanderlust uh, i think a bit more heartily so 
uh, keep up with that stuff on the website. We'll start making some changes and updating the website here, and we'll get those hunt dates out here in the, the coming weeks. And then follow along on Instagram, just uh, Black Duck Revival. That's the tag, and uh, see what we're up to, see what we're doing. If you enjoy the podcast, please take a minute and leave a review. I really appreciate uh, our buddy Kip here in Arkansas just put one up, uh, and I've, I've gotten a couple of really beautiful emails that uh, I'm apologize as we've talked about before i'm bad with that stuff but i'm going to get a uh, get responses out to all y'all and uh just know that I, I have been reading it and i'm just so appreciative that that folks listen to these conversations and, and seem to get something out of it so until next time folks we'll see you later